0: Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Daniil Medvedev has taken down the two biggest servers in the sport and he does so as swiftly and as easily as you could possibly imagine. Today's episode will be a breakdown on that as well as a preview of another Masters 1000 event, the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati, the final major tune-up before the US Open. No interview in today's show. I will also say U.S. Open Power Rankings, I'm going to come out with them tomorrow in a separate video. I just, uh, I'm going to just do one thing at a time here. And um, I know, I know the U.S. Open Power Rankings, there's only going to be one installment. So uh, I want to do quite a bit of digging and prep for that. And there was just a little bit too much on my plate. All right. Uh, But I'm really excited to get into this Medvedev stuff. I think I have a lot of uh, good things to talk about here because uh, what he has done was was quite the eye opener, I will say, because look, as far as the title goes and the importance of the title, don't get me wrong, it, it is important because Medvedev is beginning a stretch here where he's defending and I'm going to have to make up a number to really hammer this point home. He is defending a gazillion rankings points over the course of the next couple months. Not defending championship points at the US Open, but other than that, defending championship points at pretty much every single stop. And Medvedev being the confidence-based player he is, someone who really likes to get hot and start to feel himself and can go on winning stretches and losing stretches, it's going to be important that this stretch coming up is a winning stretch as far as preserving his number 2 ranking goes and also challenging Novak Djokovic at the top of the rankings. It wasn't a transformative win. It is his first Masters 1000 title of 2021, his fourth overall, um his 12th career title at at all ATP levels. Uh, and you know it, it wasn't he didn't have any transformative wins on the way, although he did exact revenge over Hubert Herkoch in a match that really could have gone either way. I don't have much on that one I I missed it but I know the margins were razor thin and I know that Medvedev felt very lucky to get out of that uh, but I what I will be breaking down in a lot more depth is uh Medvedev's takedown. Of Opelka and Isner. And when you look at those two players. You think well it doesn't matter who's on the other side of the court. You're going to. The margins are going to be slim. There might be a couple. There probably will be a couple tie breaks. And it's going to be very difficult to break serve. This is what you get. When you're looking at Isner and Opelka. But not so much for Daniil Medvedev. Who beat Isner 6-2. 6-2. Went on to beat Opelka in the final. Opelka who by the way was not overwhelmed by the moment. And we have seen duds. In you know players in their first Masters one thousand final, we have seen duds. We saw Yannick Sinner in Miami earlier this year. Uh, we saw Andre Rublev in no, you know, never mind, scratch that. Um, we have seen duds, and I thought Opelka really met the moment. He he was very much uh, game here, but Medvedev completely shut him down. Um, in 18 return games that Medvedev had against Isner and Opelka, in 11 of the 18 games, he created a breakpoint opportunity. It's time to start discussing Daniil Medvedev's return in a more macro sense. Uh, we need to start existentially Discussing this shot, because if you haven't noticed, it's elite, 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 elite. And one of the th- easy ways to kind of measure this is to just look at, well, how do these guys perform against the the best servers in the world? And generally, when you have a return that is truly exceptional, Truly transcendent, like an Andy Murray or Novak Djokovic. Well, these guys will not lose to a certain type of player, a player that relies on getting free points off of their serve. Ivo Karlovic, John Isner, Andy Murray hasn't lost to them. Nick Kyrgios, Andy Murray hasn't lost to him. Novak Djokovic doesn't lose to them. Djokovic doesn't lose to Milos Raonic. All right, well, let's take uh, all the next-gen guys. And uh, my friend Vonch2k on Twitter... Compiled a bit of a comparison here, and the results don't shock me, and I don't think they should shock you. The result is that Medvedev has nine wins to one loss against Opelka, Isner, and Raonic. Now there are a couple of other guys in the next gen group and Dominic team who, whose return of serve is not their strength. I think Zverev has a very good return of serve. He's 8-4 against Opelka, Isner, and Raonic. But from there, it really goes downhill. Dominic team, it's his worst shot. He's 6-3. Only a 66% win percentage against Opelka, Isner, Raonic. Mind you, Dominic team's a way better player than them. Stefano Tsitsipas, on a much greater scale and on a more severe level struggles with his return of serve. He's only five wins to five losses against Opelka, Isner, Raonic. And then Andrey Rublev is 0-3 against Opelka, Isner, Raonic twice in the last couple months now. He has lost to John Isner in Madrid and then just last week in Toronto. This just isn't surprising uh, based on the quality of return of serve that Daniil Medvedev has compared to these other guys. Nobody can ace Daniil Medvedev. Nobody can get free points off of Daniil Medvedev. Let me just read the ace rates as John Isner and Opelka went through this tournament. John Isner's ace rates here were 24%, 26%, 19%, and then Medvedev, 8%. I can't even say he got half- as many aces. He got less than half as many aces adjusted to the amount of serves he hit. Now, how about Opelka? Ace percentage. Opelka in Toronto, 25%, 21%, 16%, 29%, 15%, Daniil Medvedev, 10%. Only five times in Riley Opelka's career, Has he served less than 10 aces? Twice. In his whole career, only five times has it happened? Twice it happened against Medvedev. He has never hit fewer aces against any opponent than he did against Daniil Medvedev in their Roland Garros match earlier this season when he only mustered five. And he hit eight aces in this match. It's not Opelka. He's not serving worse. It's Medvedev. It is Daniil Medvedev who is clearly near impossible to ace. And you can remember Novak Djokovic, just to give you one more example as if it's needed. Uh, Djokovic goes into the final against Medvedev with 100 aces. He goes into the Australian Open final this year, 100 total aces. And then he hit three against Daniil and still smoked him. But that's besides the point. The point is, you can't ace Medvedev. So let's think about it. The best... Returners in the history of this sport: Jimmy Connors, Andre Agassi, Novak Djokovic, Andy Murray. Look, I would, I I have been unable to to find this data, unable to dig into this research. I would not be surprised if Daniil Medvedev is tougher to ace than all of them. That's not really surprising because Medvedev doesn't resemble any of them in the way he returns. It is a completely different style that he implements. He is generally between 10 and 15 feet behind the baseline. To return, he's on the back fence. And he is also a a lot taller than all of them, way taller than Connors and Agassi, uh, quite a bit taller than Djokovic at six foot one. Murray at six foot four. Medvedev still way taller. Medvedev six foot six. And based on the eye test, he's got a long wingspan, extremely long levers, long arms. He's not called the octopus for nothing. So, yes, you have a six foot six octopus standing 15 feet behind the baseline. And you're trying to ace the man, you're trying to rush the man, you're trying to kick. You're trying to hit a kick serve that gets over his shoulders and makes him uncomfortable. It is near impossible. Defensively, Medvedev's returning is likely on par with any of them. Defensively, now he doesn't take time away. And oftentimes he has to kind of dig out of points, even you know, behind his return. And there have been matches where he has been burned by his return position. I think there have been players who have been able to take advantage of that. And we've seen it become an issue on grass, but on a hard court not so much. And you would think what do you do to that? What is the solution when the 6 foot 6 octopus is standing on the back fence to return? What is the solution there? The solution Is to, first of all, pull him way off the court, hit a wide serve, and take advantage of the fact that he's not cutting off the angle. Pull him way off the court, and probably you want to come in behind it. Come in behind the serve, you'll have the entire court to volley into. And you would think that that would be effective, but somehow it doesn't really work. It doesn't really work. Riley Opelka is a very willing serve vollier with a good slice serve on the deuce side and a good kick serve on the ad side. He is he is very he's pretty good at pulling his opponent off the court. His his pinpoint serving, his spot serving isn't pinpoint, but he's pretty good at it. And he'll come in behind it. And against Stefano Tsitsipas, that's exactly what he did. And Steph was blocking his returns from far back and they were floating in the air and Opelka had all day to finish it off. And there was not much Stefano Tsitsipas could do. Well, what does Daniil Medvedev does do? Medvedev, it doesn't matter if he's in row A. It doesn't matter what kind of awful position he's in. He will hit a laser either at your feet or down the line Or he even hit one cross court for a winner. And he will give you a supremely difficult volley. And then he will start looking to recover into the court and using his elite speed. He is completely comfortable with this. He does not care if you serve volley. And Riley Opelka did it twice in a key point in the first set. 2-all, 30-all on the deuce side, and Medvedev actually snuck in on a second serve for the only time in the match and really rushed Opelka on the volley, who just thought he would get more time and suddenly didn't. And then Opelka said, well, he's not going to do it again, and was right. Medvedev didn't do it again. And he had that perfect kind of advantageous position where he had plenty of time to close the net. Medvedev was way far back. He was pulled off the court. He had a backhand, and he painted the sideline. He painted the sideline with a backhand down the line. Remember the set point? You might not if you're not crazy like me. Remember the set point against Nadal at the U.S. Open? Fourth set set point? 30 40, Nadal, wide serve, lefty slice slice uh, can opener out wide, come in behind it. Medvedev has a backhand from row A, painted the line. Winner down the line off the Nadal serve and volley. This was the same exact backhand. He will hit a BB. It does not make any sense. It defies all rules. Players who play far back are generally guys who are hitting with heavy topspin and tons of net clearance. Medvedev's hitting flat from back there. I don't know how it works. It just does. Somehow his depth doesn't suffer. Somehow he is precise enough and his hand-eye coordination is good enough to make it work. But he will hit a laser at you when you're serving volleying and he will make it uncomfortable. So that is not necessarily the answer. You can stay back and try to play plus one after pulling Medvedev off the court. That's probably a good idea but Medvedev's speed will give himself a pretty good chance of trying to get back into the point. The point being, Medvedev is a problem when it comes to trying to get a 3 point off the serve. His returning is, defensively, is as good as anyone's. And the data is there. The, you know, the proof is just staring right at you in the face. And boy, did he get to show it off this weekend against Opelka and John Isner. I'll tell you, if the return doesn't get him to neutral, moving on to a couple other topics here and a couple of other things that served him well against Opelka, if the return does not get him back to neutral, which it often doesn't because of the court position, um, he is so good with his defense and his neutralization on hard courts. His movement gets so much better on the surface. And he extended so many rallies. In this match against Opelka. That. Ended in Opelka errors. His passing shots were incredible. He's become very good at the two shot pass. Opelka was 10 for 25 at net. Against Medvedev. And he was 25 for 31 at net. In his semifinal upset over Tsitsipas. I don't think. Look. Opelka volleyed a little bit better than usual against Tsitsipas. I won't lie. But not that much. Not that much better. Man, 10 for 25, way under 50%. 25 for 31, way over 50% win percentage. That is mostly about what Medvedev does With his two-shot passing shots, the precision he has on his passing shots in general. He hits some gems in this one. And just how he's able to dig things out with his legs. And guess what? That speed will result in Riley Opelka errors. I will bring you to another key point. The Daniil Medvedev break at 1-all in the second set. Again, you have two scenarios where Opelka is at the net. um, And... Uh, Medvedev has, hits a very good two-shot pass on um, on the first point. Medvedev chases down a drop volley after dipping it low and hits a backhand winner through the middle. And then the second time Riley gets a difficult backhand volley, or actually a moderately difficult backhand volley, he misses it. Medvedev's speed puts the pressure on Opelka to make that volley really good, and Opelka double-faults the breakaway at one-all. Um And another key point was at one all in, or excuse me, I just said one all in the second set. What about when Medvedev actually um, saved break point at 3-2? At 30-40, Opelka had a break point. He should have broken back in this match. He hit an inside in forehand that was really, uh, really well struck and Medvedev neutralized it. And then a couple shots later, Riley crushed a cross-court backhand, obliterated it, and again, Medvedev neutralized it and got it back. And on the following shot, Opelka stepped into a drop shot and missed it. Opelka made a drop shot error, a forehand drop shot error that at face value was a bad error. I can play that shot for you, and you would say that stunk. That was a crappy error. Well, guess what? Against almost every player, Riley Opelka won that point twice. He won it twice. This is what great defense does. This is what it does. Overall, unforced errors in this match 34 to 13. 34 for Opelka. 13 for Daniil Medvedev, it would not be 34 if Medvedev's defense was not so good. And if if he was not extending rallies, making Opelka hit that extra forehand, making him play that extra volley, uh, it was just an unbelievable display of defense today by Daniil Medvedev. And Opelka is not the player, like a team or a Nadal or a Berrettini, I would say, not a player who can do it over and over and over again and can deliver those haymakers or like a Rublev or, or think, you know, Del Potro's forehand, or um, yeah, I'm thinking of, by the way, ultra offensive players is what I'm is where I'm going with this. I'm not counting a player like Djokovic who's who's super solid or something. Um, but but these guys who have forehands that are massive. Opelka will miss if you make him hit enough. He will miss eventually. Uh, There's no doubt about that. Um, So the defense was massive. So there were so many, every time I point to a key point notice, most of the key points I point to, Opelka's actually at net. Opelka's actually the aggressor. Medvedev is on the run. Medvedev is on the stretch. He is on the move. He is in the corner. He's winning these points anyway. Now, in neutral, Medvedev's way more patient and way more consistent, and because of his defense, he's not afraid of Opelka's power, and he's not missing himself, and he's very comfortable and very relaxed. I mentioned the unforced error count. Medvedev was so solid with just 13 unforced errors, and that is why he won just the vast majority of the long rallies. Medvedev won 29 of points over 5 shots. Opelka just won 14. And with Opelka's massive serve and his aggressive second serve returning, he's he was able to stay on par with Medvedev, um winning 42 points under 5 shots to Medvedev's 43. So essentially in the in the short points they were equal. Now I can assure you Opelka I'm sure won that category against everyone else all week, but because of Medvedev's returning, and how much better it was than everyone else's. That's why Opelka couldn't gain much of an advantage. But in the rallies, Medvedev did his job. You know this is how it's going to be. He destroyed Opelka in that category. And he's able to drag Opelka into those rallies. Because he returns so well. So again, it is uh, another example of the the two-way prowess of a Daniil Medvedev or an Alexander Zverev. They serve And return so well that against someone who serves great but doesn't return great, you're really going to have an imbalance there. And a player who defends well and is comfortable from neutral and attacks easily against a player who's rather one-way and really needs to do easy damage off his serve to constantly be in control of every point. It feels like I've broken down a couple of those matches recently, uh, whether it be Beratini-Zverev or Baratini djokovic and now uh, in these big finals, to specify, and now Medvedev-Opelka, really a similar deal here. Uh, but very patient and disciplined performance by Medvedev, and that's my favorite version of Daniil. It's a player like Roberto Bautista-Agut or Gilles Simone. Who are both 3-0 against Daniil Medvedev. That is going to make Daniil tap into what his weakness is. Remember the weakness for Daniil is generating, creating, doing something. Medvedev loves you to come at him. He wants to hit a passing shot on the run. He wants you to to get out of position. He wants you to be aggressive. He loves that. Uh, He does not want to force the issue though. He does not want to generate his own pace, his own offense. So it's the players now. Part of it is how low their ball stays, in my opinion, RBA and Simone. But the other part of it is just how patient they are. And Medvedev will not outpatient them. And uh, they will kind of make him wait. Opelka, Isner, um, they are the opposite of that. And that is why I think Medvedev can really shine in a matchup like this. Let us move on now to um, our Cincinnati preview. Good to be back in Cincinnati officially. Um, First, just a quick debriefing on, on last week. Toronto, I got the champion right. I got to Neil Medvedev, but I was way off when it comes to how the tournament was going to play. So I actually didn't think my predictions were were good at all uh, just because I totally misjudged the conditions that was on me, didn't check the weather, thought we were going to have normal Canada weather, which is which is warm, but not crazy. And, you know, the it was just so incredibly hot that it gave a big advantage to the big servers who don't have to move as much and also the serve Uh, plays more lively in the hot conditions so that really affected how the tournament was played and i was a little off there uh so i didn't make that mistake this time weather in cincinnati a lot of cloud cover this week but high humidity temperatures in the mid 80s it's still not going to be comfortable out there to play it still won't be um but cincinnati plays really really fast these are speedy hard courts so i think that is is what is mostly uh the best thing to keep in mind. I will go quarter by quarter as always. I'm not going to go through every seed. I will do that for the U.S. Open preview uh, once I once I get to that, but but not for this one. Uh, Daniil Medvedev says that he hopes to recover physically, and he has confirmed he will play Cincinnati. He's going to give it a go. He is the number one seed in this tournament, and let's start with his quarter. The top seeds are Medi, Hubert Hercoc, Roberto Bautista, Agut, and Pablo Carreno Busta. I can't roll my R's, unfortunately. I, I wish I could uh, with the double R in Carreno Busta. Um, so... I know this is strange. I put dark horse, none. I put upset, alert, none. Because what my my real opinion on Daniil Medvedev's quarter is I kind of think the champion is going to come out of this quarter. I kind of feel that way. Uh, with, you know, Medvedev, if he can physically recover, has a great chance. Herkoc, hardcourt, by far his best surface, you know, be- best of three on, um, you know, fast conditions. Growing up on you know or not growing up, excuse me, but but Herkocch being kind of like a fast hard court specialist, I, I think that that is uh, and he's also great on grass, of course, but low bouncing, quick conditions, I like that for Herkocch. Uh, Roberto Bautista, you know, I, I wouldn't really expect him to win it. He just hasn't been convincing enough in 2021. 20, but uh, Pablo Carreño Busta coming off that silver medal run in Tokyo and the incredible clay court season he had uh, in com- compared to what Pablo Carreño Busta usually does on the clay way better here in 2021. So I love PCB right now. And I thought he was wise, just saving his body, resting up, not playing Toronto. So Medvedev, Hurkacz, PCB, I could see any of them winning it. And the uh, the n- unseeded players in this quarter, um, I just don't really, I-, I don't really love them. You have uh, a pair of good Americans in Brandon Nakashima and Mackie McDonald. You know, they can both maybe make some noise, but. I can't see them going past the quarterfinal. They would draw Medvedev first round. Alexander Bublik, Marcos Giron, Grigor Dimitrov, Alejandro Davidovich, Vikino, Richard Gasquet, Andy Murray, John Millman, uh, Jan-Leonard Struf, who's been atrocious. Normally, he would be my dark horse for in, in a case like this. You know how much I like making him the dark horse. But no, he's been so bad recently. So... None of those names really jump out to me, and I really like the seeds, So I think that we're going to get a lot of seeds deep into this quarter, and I don't really like any of the unseeded players. So Dark Horse, none. Upset alert, none. Early Popcorn, Andy Murray coming back. His first, uh, first tournament since Wimbledon. Good to see him back again. Let's see what he's got against Richard Gasquet, who qualified here in Cincinnati, who's always helped by quicker conditions, uh, who sweats a lot, but I feel like really likes to play in the heat. Richard Gasquet, uh, so um, he should enjoy that. Um, ultimately, my quarterfinal is Karenio Busta defeats Bautista Agut. You know, I I certainly considered a couple of scenarios here. Again, I do like Hubert Hurkacz. I don't mind Daniil Medvedev, but I do think that Medvedev uh, could could have some physical struggles, and I think playing RBA and PCB back to back in those conditions after winning the title that just seems like that seems awful and Nakashima or McDonald in the first round the reason I don't have Medvedev coming through this quarter is his draw to me that eliminates uh picking Medvedev here i just think it's too difficult um with uh w- with Herkoc, let me refresh myself on on Hurkacz um I just, I prefer Pablo Carino Busta and the tennis PCB is playing. I just, I prefer him right now. Um, but it could be Huracac. I, I wouldn't be surprised there. Uh, I, I go with PCB. I really have a lot of faith in the tennis he's playing. Before he made the silver medal in Tokyo, That that's how I felt, just based on his clay court season. So uh, that is Daniil Medvedev's quarter. Let's move on to Andre Rublev's quarter with Denis Shapovalov, Yannick Sinner, And Alex DeMenor. My dark horse here is John Isner. This is obviously his favorite season. I was a little bit surprised with how well he did. One, because I didn't expect the conditions in Toronto. Also, because I feel like Isner has done everything he could to just avoid bubble conditions. But um, look, Isner right now has been playing really quality tennis for really the entirety of the season. And the reason why he's not really high up in the race is because he hasn't played enough. He didn't travel to Australia, et cetera, et cetera. But when Isner has played, he's really been awesome. And he's still going to be a tough out. And I still think that uh, he'll probably have enough physically to be dangerous at this event. He's done it before where he's kind of Continued good form throughout the North American hardcore season. Normally, up until the U.S. Open, where things slow down for him quite a bit, and players find it a little bit easier to return his serve. But I think things are still going to be hot, still going to be tough, and Isner's going to really enjoy this. Upset alert is Alex D. Minor, who is on a three match losing streak, and and uh, look, normally I would like Demon on a quick, low bouncing hardcourt. That's the surface that he's best on. Uh, but Demon has been really bad. He didn't just lose to Nicholas Basilashvili in Toronto, he got smoked by Basilashvili one and one. So I'm not quite sure what's going on with the Aussie. I haven't been able to catch any of his matches. That is, again, as I say all the time, that's a side effect of when a player can't win a match, is sometimes I don't watch them play for a while. Uh, but he's upset alert. Um, playing, uh, Philip Krajinovich in the first round and Krajinovich will never beat himself a really solid player. And, uh, you're going to have to bring it and play some good tennis to beat Krajinovich no matter what, because, uh, Philip never loses to someone who is not really, uh, I guess finishing points on their own accord and, and doing positive things on the court, uh, Early popcorn for me is Andre Rublev versus the winner of Oslan Karatsev and Marin Cilic. Uh Cilic by the way is just in fantastic spirits. If you watch any kind of interview or if you just look at him on the court, he seems a little bit looser out there recently. He's expecting a second child and uh, I don't know, he maybe he's just enjoying life at the moment. Uh Karatsev did win a couple of matches in Toronto before falling to uh to Karen Hatchinov uh last week. So those are two players who are going to bring big games to challenge Andre Rublev and I still feel like the pressure is a, is is just mounting a little bit for Rublev to pick up a big result uh following, you know, that that Monte Carlo final. It has been a, a semi-final. It has been a very long time. Uh, for Rublev, I feel like since he's since he's gone deep, and that is compared to what he was doing before then, which was really making a final or winning a title pretty much every single month, every other month, if that. So uh, I'm very interested to see that round two matchup. Ultimately, what I have picked here is a repeat of uh, of Toronto. In Toronto, I picked Andre Rublev to beat Denis Shapovalov in the quarterfinal. I'm going to go with that again. Um, I was a little bit surprised in terms of uh, Shapovalov he, um, and and what happened with him in Toronto. Losing to uh, TFO, right? Let me double check that. In my head, it's TFO. Uh, yeah, he lost to TFO. 6-1, 6-4. Uh, that was that was surprising to me. Don't get me wrong. And uh, this is a this is a little bit quicker, which I actually don't love for him. Uh, I like Andre Rublev against Chapoval, but I wonder if it's just uh, I you know taking the pressure off could help. You know the Canadians, the young Canadians in Canada. Obviously, Chapo had the magical run against uh, when he beat uh, Nadal, but s- after that or since then, he has not been good in Canada, and neither has Felix Ojeda. Uh, but I will go with Andre Rublev with the quicker, um, the quicker court. He just needs to he just needs to get some confidence in his offense and and do some early damage. Yannick Sinner maybe. Uh, this is again Cincinnati. The speed of the court is a little bit more than what he would traditionally do well on. But that's another intriguing story with Yannick. Is will his new and improved serve prove to be damaging once again? On a fast hard court, uh, which will give him kind of an advantage that he didn't used to have on any server like condition or serving friendly condition, where, you know, Sinner never used to make noise in serving friendly conditions ever. So let's see if he can kind of uh, change that, and that'll be interesting. Alexander Zverev's quarter. Uh, Zverev is back from um, after winning gold medal in Tokyo. Uh, he is in a quarter with Kasparu, Diego Schwartzman, and David Gafan. Gafan already lost. Gafan is coming back from injury for the first time uh, in a while after, uh, I think it was a hamstring that he that he did after, or no, it was an ankle. He slipped in Hala. He slipped in Hala and then he hurt his ankle, I believe. Uh, So he's back, but he lost. So he's out. Um, Dark Horse is Hugo Umber. I really, you know, anytime the... Anytime Umber doesn't need to use his power and the surface is fast enough that his precision and his redirection and his depth is going to give him a lot of help. I, I love Umber in, in those kinds of conditions and I saw some good things from him, some good tennis from him in uh, Toronto for sure. So Umber is my dark horse. My upset alert is Casper Ruud. I was pretty disappointed with Ruud's performance against uh, Stefano Tsitsipas. I was looking forward to that match. Check out the video on Rude if you haven't that I did uh, earlier this week. But he could play Opelka in the second round. If Opelka is up for that and you know physically recovered, and if he beats Mutet in the first round, uh, that'll be a very tough matchup for Rude, I believe, with how big Opelka hits the ball. And uh, Rude's heavy topspin, pretty bad matchup. Opelka likes it high up there. Uh, TFO and Umber should be an excellent round one matchup. TFO gets a wild card. Into uh, Cincinnati, and he has been really, really good ever since winning the uh, Eastbourne Challenger. You know, transferring that momentum, playing well on the grass. He hasn't done well in third round matches. He seems to win two matches and then just get crushed in the third round. But other than that, TFO has been uh, really impressive. So I'm looking forward to that first round matchup. You do have. Um, you do have. I don't—never I mind. I was going to say something that was something that I meant to say in the last quarter. Um, Let's go to the quarterfinal prediction. Uh, I'm going to go with Umber defeats Alexander Zverev. You know, this is not a strong quarter whatsoever. Um, You know, in terms of unseeded players, let's see what else we got here. Uh, Besides TFO and Umber, you have Dan Evans, who, I mean, he— he can't really make a run right now. You don't feel like that's really in the works. Uh, Lloyd Harris, Yoshi Nishioka, Basila Shvili, Fanini, uh, Guido Pela, who uses a protected ranking to get in here. Yeah, I mean, nothing here really stands out as far as unseeded players, and the seeds are not great at all, whatsoever. So, Umber is the dude who stands out. The reason I'll go with him over Zverev, they've played some great matches in the past, uh, especially on grass, and uh, Umber beat him in uh, Hala, I believe. The reason I'll go with Umber is just, I I think we could see some hangover effect um, from from Zverev after winning the gold. I just think uh, that has been a pattern in his career. Sometimes he wins a title. He wins a big title, and it takes him a little while to just kind of get back to business. And... I don't love him this week. I think this might be kind of his build-up, his warm-up, and it might take him a little while to just get into the swing of things to build up his intensity, his fitness, and all of that. So I don't love Zverev this week. I'll go with Zverev to make the semifinal. I'm pretty sure it'll, it would be his first Masters 1000 semifinal. Stefano Pass's quarter features Matteo Berrettini, Felix Auger-Aliassime, and Christian Garin. Uh, this should be a very interesting quarter where a lot of uh, a lot of I think variable results can happen. My dark horse is Karen Hatchinoff, who really ran out of gas in Toronto, but uh, I was actually impressed with with uh, how he was able to beat Cameron Norrie and Aslan Karatsev in his first two matches before looking pretty bad against Tsitsipas. Uh, if you notice, by the way, the players who came from Tokyo did not do well at the National Bank Open. Jet lag is real. It is not good. And uh, I don't think anyone passed the third round who, who meddled. None of them meddled, and even in doubles. And even if you looked at the women, they didn't do well either. So if you were coming from Tokyo, it was tough. And uh, I thought that, you know, Hatchinov will probably have a better chance to keep up the level this week overall he was my dark horse for uh in last week as well I I really believe I believe in the level that he's playing I, I believe in it so if he keeps it up he's tough to beat period upset alert I have everyone I think everyone's on upset alert um a lot of that has to do with um well let me go through all of them let me just go through all of them here it won't take long at all um, tt pass. Good play Sebastian Corda in the second round. Corda uh, didn't play last week. He's well-rested. He's just dangerous. Um, he doesn't have the massive serve that could really bother Tsitsipas, but uh, to me, that's upset alert for Tsitsipas because Korda's just that good. Uh, Berrettini is coming off injury, coming off the thigh injury that kept him out of the Olympics and, and uh, kept him out last week at the National Bank Open. So, to me that's automatic upset alert. Felix oje ali well he can lose to anyone in any given match. I mean, you know, losing to Purcell at the Olympics and uh you know, just he struggled recently. Now now he could make go on a run here. These are quick enough conditions where it should really suit Felix, but again, Fuchevic in the in the first round, he could lose that match. And Christian Garin against Tommy Paul, that's a toss up. That's a 50-50 match. So upset alert everyone. Everyone. No doubt about it. Um, early popcorn is that Pass korda match. That is going to be some nice baselining. There's going to be some good ball striking in that one. Uh, korda, backhand to backhand, I think will will really uh, enjoy or kind of try to get into that pattern as much as possible. But but Tsitsipas... Pas is much more physical than Korda at this stage. So that's a big advantage for, uh, for the Greek. Um, ultimately... I'm going to go with Pass, defeats Berrettini. Now, this was a tough quarter. I thought about putting Hachinov through. I really did. I thought about a couple of scenarios here. And even Berrettini, because Berrettini is, I think, a pretty bad matchup for Pass, But I just don't trust him. I think he could look good this week. But at a certain point, he probably will break down physically. Uh, I don't know, though. Last time Berrettini came back from an injury, he won Belgrade. So, I mean, could he just do that again? Maybe. I'm reluctantly going with Tsitsipas. I'll tell you why. I actually think that he looked really good last week, Tsitsipas. And he can't return serve against a big server. And that has always been the case. And that remains the case. But I don't really, you know, again, Berrettini, he is kind of that guy, but... When I when I say Tsitsipas will beat him, it's kind of more not trusting in Berrettini's physicality and his energy. Uh, so that's kind of the logic behind that. I actually do think Pass played well last week, even though he's still got an edge to him. And I think he needs to calm down a little bit again. Uh, you know, I was saying this at the beginning of the year. I thought that he was doing better, and now I just think he's not doing better anymore mentally. So uh, still, he can win matches that way. It's just... Sometimes he's going to implode and he's not going to be as consistent. So uh, Titi Boss is an inter- in an interesting spot this week. And I do think it would really help him to go far because, uh, I don't know, I, I think he could. It- it's weird to say about someone who's won more matches than anyone else on the tour. But I just feel like he's been battling himself recently and he could use some really big wins Going into the U.S. Open. That's just kind of how I feel about Pass right now. Uh, let's go to the final weekend. It is time. So here's the great reveal. You're going to see everything here. Semifinals: Pablo Carreno Busta defeats Andre Rublev in three sets. Stefano Tsitsipas defeats Alexander Zverev in three sets. Pablo Carreno Busta. Oh, my God. I, this is wrong. Defeats... It says Berrettini. It's supposed to beat Tsitsipas in three sets. Pablo Carreño Busta beats Stefano Tsitsipas in three sets. Think he's ready, guys. I love PCB right now. Uh, I'm into him. Maybe this is too quick a surface for him. Maybe, but again, I think he's playing like an absolute machine, like a tank. And uh, in any conditions, he is he is fit, he is not missing, he is working his butt off as he usually does, he is hitting his forehand big, he is taking his backhand early, he is serving well at a good percentage, I'm really into the tennis he's playing, and I, I like that he didn't play last week, he rested up, he's ready, and uh, I just think this is... This is weird right now. The ATP is in a weird place. And let me just say this. I, I, things are strange. Things feel strange. How many guys are coming off long layoffs? How many guys haven't didn't play last week? Zverev didn't play last week. Berrettini didn't play last week. Uh, Karenia Busta didn't play last week. How many guys withdrew from this tournament? Off the top of my head. Right, Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, um, Stan Wawrinka, Kani Shikori. Let me let me get this this. uh, Hold on, I'm gonna get you this in a second. Dominic Team, Milos Raonic, Roger Federer, obviously. Everyone but Federer that I just said: Djokovic, Nadal, Team, Raonic, Wawrinka, Nishikori, they all qualified for the 2016 ATP Tour Finals. Every single one of them. So between like a lot of players coming off these long layoffs, a lot of the establishment guys pulling out completely. It just feels like nobody's actually rolling. Nobody's actually playing well right now. Um, so that's why I, I do I do think that PCB has a fair bit of momentum going right now, and I'm going to back him to uh, to win this. Let's see what happens again. How will Zverev look? How will Tsitsipas look? How will Medvedev rebound? I really do like that that first quarter. I think that uh, Medvedev's quarter has a good chance to produce the champion. As I said at the top, Medvedev, Hercoc, Pablo Carreño, Busta. I like all three of them. Uh, it should be a good one. I'm looking forward to Cincinnati. U.S. Open Power Ranking video will come out soon. Uh, so make sure you look out for that. Anything else? Anything else? Let's see. I did an Opelka-Isner comparison video. Check that out if you haven't. uh, Subscribe on podcast platforms to Monday Match Analysis and follow me on Twitter at Gil underscore Gross. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next time.